0: Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, lead pastor Josh Carstensen continues a series called What is Going On, where we read the entire Bible in a year. The book of Mark records Peter's experience following Jesus. As the disciples witness Jesus' power, they start asking what power and authority will they get but Jesus redirects them to desire servantship and denying themselves. they are harsh lessons, but ones we all need to hear. After the message and throughout the week, read the book of Mark. Also, check out nwhills.com hub. That's H-U-B for additional resources like book overviews, reading plans, and application questions. Now, here's today's message. If you have a
1: Bible... Uh, let's go ahead and go to the gospel of mark we are in week 32 of a 52 week series where we're going someone's excited yeah baby we're going through the whole bible about a book a week roughly speaking uh, obviously there's 66 books in 66 books in the bible and so we're we're cramming a few together but but ultimately we're getting after the larger question of what is going on and and where is god in all the what is going ons right we we look around the world and we have all kinds of what is going on questions uh, at some point, I think it'd be fun to just hear from some of you what some of those moments are when you just kind of scratch your head and you wonder what is going on. But, but in the big things and the small things, right, we, we wonder, right? We, we look around and we say, God, what, what are you doing here? Are, are you doing something? Um, is this just happening and you're kind of on the sidelines? God, are you involved? And, and then in the really small things too, the things that uh, happen in our own personal lives on a really small scale. And, and we ask and we wonder... Um, God, is this something that you're causing? Are you allowing this? What are you doing through this? Are you working through this? And so trying to find some of those broader answers throughout the story of the whole Bible and kind of seeing where God is. And it's, it's very early on in the Bible. Uh, we talked about it last week. It's on page three that we find out that there is a reason why we ask what is going on. Right? There's a reason why we are often not only confused, but there's a reason we're frustrated with what we see, both in the world and in ourselves. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm the first person to say there are times and seasons when I am frustrated with myself. Um, and, and in that same page, on that same chapter, in that same chapter rather, uh, we see the remedy that God promises. He says, hey, there's, there's going to be an answer to this. I'm doing something through this. I will fix this. And, and that's going to happen through a person. And then for a few thousand years, we see God moving and working through a people group to prepare the world for a person. Uh, and then we see this person last week come to the world, right? Obviously, his name is Jesus. And in last week, we, we saw the gospel writer Matthew. He writes to a people who have primarily rejected the idea that this person is the one who they'd been waiting for. And Matthew writes to say, no, no, he really is that person, Like, let's look at all the things that you were waiting for. You were waiting for this. He was supposed to be born in this city, in this family, from this lineage, and these types of things are going to happen. And as you read the story last week, and I hope you did, and I would invite you to read Mark again this week, we saw over and over and over, like, this happened to fulfill what was promised. And ultimately getting at the, the heart of the people who rejected a false version of Jesus that they had in their mind. And so Matthew writes to kind of clarify that version and say, no, there's a real Jesus and I don't want you to reject him. Um, today we're going to look at the other side of that coin and that side is not uh, rejecting a false Jesus, but falling in love with a false Jesus. And we're going to see this pretty clearly in the book of Mark. And, and we're really good at falling in love with fake things, right? And that's just something that we as humans do. Right? We do this in kind of our, like, a celebrity-obsessed culture. We, we get kind of like a a small caricature of who someone is, and, and we fall in love with the idea of a person, right? And, and this curated online version of someone, or we fall in love with ideas even, right? We fall in love with, like, look at all advertising. It's, it's trying to help you fall in love with something that's not real, right? You think about, I was watching a, a commercial yesterday, it was a truck commercial. And uh, they really want you to get this truck. And I actually have the truck. It's like 20 years older. But, you know, I'm watching this commercial and literally it's this guy who drives behind a giant waterfall in a full-size truck. And you're like, that's the stupidest thing ever. That would never happen. Why are, like, that's make-believe. You might as well show a car that's flying, right? But we fall in love with this idea that, ooh, maybe if I get that, then I will be awesome. And we fall in love with all these fake ideas. And the same is true through the disciples, and through you and I, if we're not careful, we can fall in love with the fake Jesus, right? We can fall in love with this idea of who Jesus is, and ultimately through this idea of who Jesus is, we can have this desire deep in us that says, if I follow Jesus, maybe he will do this for me. And we're going to see this three different times today uh, in the book of Mark, this idea that really humanity has this longing that Jesus is a means to an end, that Jesus is a tool to get me what I think that I want. And we're going to see this through the book of Mark. So as we're turning there, I want to just kind of uh, lay out the groundwork a little bit of who Mark is, because trying to, you know, summarize a whole book in one sermon. So who is Mark, right? Mark's a little bit confusing because he wasn't one of the disciples. We don't actually read anything about the person Mark is in the gospel of Mark at all. In fact, we don't even know that Mark ever met Jesus. Um, Potentially he did. Potentially, I think it's somewhere, I think it's in 14, Mark 14, uh, where there's a young boy in Gethsemane that might have been Mark, but it might not have been. Who is Mark though? Mark is, first of all, he is the cousin of Barnabas and he meets up with Barnabas and Saul and goes on their first missionary journey together. They have a bit of a falling out. I might talk a little bit more about that tonight. Um, But along the way somewhere, we know that Peter and Mark become friends. Uh, We know this because in Acts chapter 12, when Peter is miraculously kind of released from prison, Peter goes to Mark's house. But the name Mark in and of itself is a bit confusing because even in the gospel, Mark uh, sometimes is called John. So you're like, who is this? Is this John? Is this Mark? Is this John Mark? Uh, Mark is his Latin name or his Roman name. John is his Hebrew name. But really the two shouldn't go together. It'd be like calling me Josh Josue. Like that doesn't make sense. It's just Mark or John. Um, but he, his goal really in writing this is to capture the story of Peter. right? So when you think of the gospel of Mark... Uh, A real clear picture would be the gospel according to Peter, because what happens is at towards the end of Peter's life, Mark's heard all these stories from Peter firsthand, but he's like, I want to capture it all in one spot, right? You're getting old, you know, it's 30 years after Jesus left at this point. He's, he spent a lot of time with Peter, but he goes to Rome where Peter is. And he says, Hey, tell me the story. I want to get it all in one shot. Right? And so what we're going to see in the story of Mark is really the view of who Jesus is, the real Jesus, as experienced through the lens of the Apostle Peter, which if you know Peter, is actually going to make a lot of sense when you read the story of Mark. Right? And we know that because it's, it's quick, it's fast. It's like you, you read the story of Mark and, and there's, not even like a, there, there's no birth story. It's just like, and here Jesus is, because Peter doesn't really care who his parents are and all these things. He's just like, he is incredible, look at him. Right, look at him and and you notice like Peter, if you know Peter, he's he's an all in type of guy. Right? He he's the guy who's like, if Jesus is walking on the water, I want to be there too. Like this looks pretty awesome, I'm jumping it. He's the one who's literally sprinting to the tomb and he has to stop and catch a breather. You know, it's like some of those marathon runners yesterday, mile four, they're just gassed because they didn't, you know, pace themselves, and that's Peter. He's just like, I'm all in, it doesn't matter. And you get Peter, who's the guy who's pulling out his dagger. He's trying to fight the Roman army when people are arresting Jesus. That's just who he is. And you see it in the story of Mark. In the story of Mark, you're going to notice that there's not a lot of Jesus' teachings. Um, You don't get many parables, right? Depending upon how you count a parable, there's somewhere between four and seven parables in the story of Mark, as opposed to Luke's got around 25. Matthew has around 20 of them. But what you do see in Mark over and over and over is stories of Jesus's power, right? So he gets something like 18 different miracle stories. And so he hits you heavy and he hits you quick. Like Jesus is powerful. Like he is God. He does things that no one else does. You got to capture this. And you see this quite clearly in the first eight chapters, so as you read this week, and I invite all of us to read, you know, if you were to just flip through the first eight chapters, you're going to see story after story of the power of Jesus, right? Um, I would just encourage you right now, just flip through, open it up. I'm just going to read you some of the headings that we see here in those first eight chapters. We see things like him healing many people, right? Cleansing a leper, healing a paralytic, healing a man with a withered hand. He, he does preach to large crowds. He has a few parables. He calms a storm. He feeds 4,000. He feeds 5,000. He walks on water. He heals the sick. He heals the hurting. He heals the deaf. Like Jesus is clearly not simply only human. He's doing something profound here, and, and Peter wants everyone to know this. But Peter wants people to know more than just the power of Jesus. And so kind of the culmination, the the come to Jesus moment, if you will, happens in Mark chapter eight. And in chapter eight, nine, and 10, we're gonna see the real Jesus. and, And we're gonna see the human desire of what we want from Jesus. And we're also gonna see what Jesus, how he responds to the desires that we have. Like ultimately, we're gonna say, man, Jesus has what I think that I want. And that's authority and that's power. And everyone longs for that. And Jesus is gonna say, three times no what I'm offering you is suffering and death like you you think you want a nice life and you think you want influence and you think you want power and and friends and Jesus is going to say no no no, I I come that you would serve I come that you would die I come that you would deny yourself and so we see that three different times in eight nine and ten we're going to just walk through each of those three different times and it it begins in chapter eight it begins with probably the most important question that Jesus ever asked his disciples, and it's the apex of the book of Mark, and, and really it's the turning point in all of the Gospels, where Jesus asks the question, who am I? Right? He's, he's just finished a bunch of miracles. He's walking on the road back home, and he's with his disciples, and he asks this question, who am I? And before we turn there, I just, I just got to say to all of us, this is really the only question that matters, but right, it really is. You know, we, we do a lot of things around here as a church, and there's a lot of effort in the different activities. You know, we have youth group and seniors are meeting right now, and we had a nice little young married class, and we've got nice warm coffee and all the accoutrements, if you will, and none of that ultimately matters if you don't answer the first question. And that's who's Jesus? And, and Jesus is about to say, you don't get to decide who I am. I'm going to tell you who I am. And at first, you're probably not going to like what I say. But in the long run, it's going to be what you ultimately want. And so we're going to see this in crystal clarity starting in chapter 8. So if you would, would you just stand with me? And we're going to see this interaction between Jesus and his disciples here where he asks some pretty significant questions. When I'm done, I'm going to say this is the Word of the Lord, and I would invite you to say thanks be to God. Chapter 8, verse 27, and Jesus went on with His disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, He asked His disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told Him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank Thanks be to God. You can grab a seat. You are the Christ, right? Those, those are small words, but they come with a lot of anticipation. They come with a lot of meaning. They, they ultimately come saying, hey, the thing that we've been waiting for since page three, from chapter three, from thousands of years ago, this promised person, like, that's You. But then surprisingly, Peter does something and the disciples do something three different times over these next three chapters. They say, yes, you are the Christ. Now, what can you do for me? Right? And it seems silly and it seems stupid and it seems immature and it seems unnecessary and it seems very human. Right? That that we discover that, yes, Jesus, you are Messiah. Yes, Jesus, you're God. And and it's amazing that you died on the cross. Now, what do I get out of this? We're going to see this three different times. And Jesus, three different times, is going to say, I came and I suffered and I'm dying and I'm inviting you into that life as well. And then in chapters 11 through 16, um, we get the final week of Jesus' life. So that's just one week, ultimately, to fulfill everything that he said would happen in chapters 8, 9, and 10. So let's see what happens right after this encounter where Peter says, you are the Christ. This is starting in verse 31. Verse 31. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after 3 days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, I don't know about you but that seems like a strange interaction. Here's Jesus he's saying who am I? Peter confesses you are the Christ and and then Jesus says, "Well, I'm about to suffer and I'm about to die and and Peter essentially says, oh no, you're not. Now we don't know why. Um, I, I have two guesses. Um, I, I wish sometimes scripture gave us more of the why, why things happen, but it doesn't always. And, and we get two guesses here. One guess is ultimately that Peter loved Jesus. They're close friends and, and no close friend wants to hear that another close friend is about to suffer and die, right? Like that's, that's just not something you want to hear. And so the friendly, nice, proper response is like, no, 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 you're, you're going to be okay. Like we're with you. We'll fight for you. Rome's got nothing. We got this little clan, this posse. We're going to be okay. And so you, you, you like to think that there's some, you know, warmth and some longing and some care in this type of response, right? And so maybe that's his heart's reaction. Well, on the other hand, maybe his heart's reaction is a bit selfish, right? And we all have people in our life like this Right? We all have people in our life where you tell them something awful. Like, hey, you know, you're know, you supposed to pick them up and, and take them somewhere, but you call them you're like, hey, I'm sorry, I just got in a car accident. I'm not going to be able to pick you up. I'm in the hospital. And instead of saying, oh my goodness, how are you? They're like, man, well, how am I going to get somewhere? <laughs> right? Like, like, this is Jesus. This is Peter. He's like, well, wait a second. Like, you, that, that can't happen to you because if that happens to you, like, what's going to happen to me? Because I gave up a lot to be here So I I don't know where his motive was in that, but ultimately either way, his motive is like, I don't like what you're presenting to me. I want a different version of you. I would like you to do something different than what you say you're going to do. And Jesus is really harsh to him. Uh, if you know what he's about to say, he says words to him that he doesn't say anywhere else in scripture. He literally tells Peter, and he, tell, he tells it in front of everyone. So like, here's Peter, he pulls him aside and rebukes him, and Jesus is kind of like, hey, public announcement, get behind me, Satan. You're like, oh gosh. Like, like, that's a moment where you kind of step back, and you're like, okay, you're God, I'm not. And then Jesus clarifies what he's about to say with Oh, if you're going to follow me and you're going to call me Lord, this is what it actually means. In verse 34, he says this, And calling the crowds to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's very different than Peter's motivation of like, I'd like something else. For For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me, in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Again, straightforward, up front, Jesus says, this is who I am. Peter says, I don't want who you are, and Jesus says, no, 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 I'm inviting you to something very different than what you think that you want. You think you want power and authority, but I'm giving you an opportunity to deny yourself, right? Luke's going to talk about this idea of daily denying yourself, right? And we think about where we are, and all of us can deny ourselves in something, and all of us have desires in something, right? And our desires are all different, right? If you're a college senior, you have a desire, hopefully, of leaving college and getting a great job and maybe finding a spouse someday. Those are good desires and we all have them and they may look different in all of our life stages. And Jesus is going to say, Hey, all of your desires, like put following me first, like put whatever you think you have for some idealized version of you, put that on the side for a minute and I'm inviting you to follow me. And following me doesn't always look like the way that you think that it does. He continues this conversation two more times, the next one in chapter 9. It's right after this powerful moment. It's a strange, it's a bizarre moment. Um, It's one of those moments where I, I would love some more clarity on someday, and it's the Mount of Transfiguration so here's Jesus. He goes up on a mountain, and he's got Peter, James, and John. So he's got three of them with him. And, and he's on this mountain, and he, like, he becomes uh, super bright, translucent-like, very unhuman-like. His clothes are glowing. And then all of a sudden, like up the hiking trail comes Elijah and Moses. And it's like, what is happening right now? Here's Elijah. Here's Moses. The other disciples, they don't know what to do. They're kind of like, oh, should we make you a tent? I don't know. And, and then you hear the audible voice of God. And the audible voice of God is like, this is my son. I want you to follow him. I want you to obey him. And they still don't know what's going on. And they kind of go back down the mountain. Elijah and uh, Moses are gone and, and Jesus heals someone. And, and then the disciples start having this conversation amongst themselves. And they're like, dude, do you realize who our best friend is? Like, this is awesome. And then they, they start having this conversation. That's like, um, which one of us? is going to be like the greatest. Because our best friend is about to be the reigning ruling king of the universe. Like forget Rome. Like we are going to take on everyone and and you, you know, you can be the president and you can be the vice president and like you, you know, you can be secretary of state. Good luck with that. You know, like what like and they're trying to figure out all these different things that are going to happen to them because this Jesus is this superpower like mutant person, right? Like this is amazing. And Jesus, in a very Jesus-like way, in chapter 9, verse 33, he asks him, he says, hey, what were you guys talking about back there? Like, when we were, when we were walking along the way, um, what, what were you guys talking about? Like, anything important? Like, you guys going to invite me to this party? Um, and no one says anything. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Everyone's like, uh. Um, and you pick it up in verse 35 of chapter 9. Again, this is Jesus. He's he's re-clarifying over and over, and this is what Jesus does. Like, don't fall in love with a fake version of me. Don't do it. Here's here's who I really am. He sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. And he took a child, and he put it in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. In, in this context, in this culture, like children were, were considered not very important at all, and they didn't give a lot of attention to children. And Jesus is saying, hey, to the least of these, I need you to pay attention. Like, you think you want honor. You think you want glory. Not only do you need to deny yourself, but in order to be first, you have to be last. He repeats this one more time in chapter 10. Jesus, I want something from you. Right? Again, it's a pretty natural human desire. If if there's a God who loves me and who's the most powerful being in the world, like naturally the human response is, What do I get? And one more time, we're going to see what Jesus invites us to. And this is in chapter 10, verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again he began to tell them what was going to happen to him. This is a moment of incredible vulnerability. Verse 33, see we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will be condemned or they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. All right, so this moment where Jesus is describing, this is what's going to happen to me, you'd like to think if you have a close friend who's saying, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be killed, you'd like to think that the disciples would respond with something to the effect of, man, are you going to be okay? Like, we'll be with you like, I don't want this to be true, but if you say it is, like, man, how, how can we be with you? You'd like to think that that's their response. But they respond in a very human-like way in some of the most honestly embarrassing and telling responses that you'll ever see in the Bible. I, I really think that this is one of the most humanly embarrassing sentences you will ever read. Immediately after Jesus says, I'm about to be killed... Verse 35, listen to what the text says. And I think it's funny. Notice that, uh, you know, Peter's orating this. He specifically mentions James and John, but leaves himself out. He says, and maybe that's what happened. I don't know. It seems like the three of them are always together until this moment. I don't know. Um, James and John, the son of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. What? Jesus is like, I'm literally about to be killed. I'm about to take on the full wrath of all the sin of mankind, and I'm going to be killed. And and the disciples go, hey, Jesus, it'd be really great if you could do for me whatever I want you to do for me. (laughs) It's like, what? What is happening? Really? Okay. And I love Jesus. Um, this is true. He's very tender. Um, he responds in verse 36, and he just asks him. He says, well, what do, you, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left when you're in glory. It's like, okay, so you're going to be killed. Well, apparently if you're going to be killed, you're going to go up to heaven, and man, when you get up there, could you save me a seat? Like, I'd, I'd really like that, uh, and not only just a seat, but I'd like to be next to you because I've heard at some point, like, everyone's worshiping you, and I'd just like the view from, like, right next to you. Could you, could you do that for me, Jesus? Like, that'd be really nice. And I, Again, I love Jesus. He, he, he asked him a rhetorical question. Right after this, he, he says, first of all, he says, you don't know what you're asking, and they says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And he's saying, hey guys, like, I'm, I'm literally, like I just said, I'm taking on the full cup of God's wrath for all of humanity, past, present, and future, in what God owes them, an infinite number of punishment. And I'm taking it all on, and I'm going to go through Roman crucifixion. Can you handle that? And in classic ways that the disciples respond, they say, we are able... <laughs> And then it gets worse because the other disciples, and maybe Peter's in on this, the other ones are like, well, wait a second, what conversation are you guys having? Because I wanted to ask Jesus that question first. How come you got to go and ask him, I want to sit his right and left, because I wanted to ask him that. And, and Jesus kind of just has this, like, okay, everyone, like, let's, let's settle down. And he gives some perspective to what we think that we want. Again, we, we think we want something, and Jesus is going, no, no, let me show you what I'm offering you. It's not what you think you want. Jesus, and this is in verse 42, he called them to him and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. So he's saying, hey, um, you want greatness. And and the truth is, like, that's a good desire. We all should want greatness. Everyone should want that, right? Like, don't aim for mediocrity. Aim for greatness. But in this culture, to be great, in Roman culture, is to have authority and power and to lord it over people, right? You, You think about what greatness was in the Roman Empire. The greatness is being able to say, hey, I want your land. Yeah, I'm taking it. Right? Greatness is being able to say, I want your wife, I'll have her too. I want your money, I'll tax you twice. Right? Like that's what Roman oppression is. They, they can do whatever they want. And so like that, that, that desire has not changed in 2,000 years. We still have a human desire for authority and power, every one of us. And three times we see the disciples wanting this and we have it too. Right? It, it looks different, but we have this desire for authority and power. Right uh, last year in the winter, my wife and I, we were supposed to go to the Middle East with some friends from here. Uh, two days before we were supposed to go, one of my friends uh, didn't get a conclusive COVID test, which means that we weren't able to go to the Middle East. But we had like full plans, like 10 days babysitting. Everything was taken care of. Jobs were all taken care of. So we had to go somewhere. So naturally we find ourselves in the Caribbean. Um <laughs> So we're in the Caribbean and we went to, we happened to go to the same island that my wife and I went to on our honeymoon almost 17 years ago. We actually stayed in the same hotel um, and we went to the same beach, favorite beach. It's called Megan's Beach. True story. That's my wife's name. I know it's weird. It's a true story. It's always like in the top 10 beaches of beautiful places in the world. And you go there and when you're there, you feel like a million bucks, Right? You're just laying on this beach or whatever the beach things you like to do. It's white sand, it's clear water, it's tropical, as all get up. And you feel so good about yourself. You're just like, ah, oh, I have arrived. Until you look out about 200 yards into the water and you see three mega yachts parked out there. And you're watching these mega yachts and you're seeing the wakeboarding boat that is attached to the yacht and you're seeing the jet skis and you're seeing the literal electric surfboards and you're seeing the hot tubs and you're seeing the crew of people and and you're seeing the little dinghy come in and the crew like sweeping the section of the beach just in case you want to come in and, and you see that and if you're Josh, your mind starts going, I wonder what it would be like to be on that boat. And if you're Josh, you may have gotten on your paddleboard and kind of like paddled around on there hoping <laughs> for an invitation. <laughs> but if you're Josh, you're also saying, no, 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 let's be honest. I don't want to know what it's like to be on that boat. I want to know what it's like to own that boat. <laughs> right? I'm just being honest. Because how sweet would it be to say like, oh, yeah, yeah, why don't, why don't you bring my boat like, let, you know what, I, I don't, I'm not feeling the Caribbean. Like, l- let's go to Seychelles. Could you just bring it down there, and, and I'll be there in my jet in a couple weeks. And, and you know what? Like, yeah, I'll have a couple of these meals, and, and could you just set my wake about this big? Because I'd love to ride that for a long time. And here's the truth. We, we all have these desires, and I promise you not everyone's is for a yacht, but it's for that lifestyle of I want authority and I want power and I want to be able to do what I want to do. And we all have that story in our mind of what if, right? If, if God loves me, then what might he do in my life, right? And of course, maybe it's not the yacht, but maybe it's, oh, maybe God will give me a kid if we've been struggling to have a kid. God loves me. Maybe he'll do that for me. Maybe it's, ooh, maybe I can actually retire someday. God loves me. Maybe he'll do that for me. Right? Maybe it's, man, I'd, I'd really like to get a different job. I'd like a different coworker. I'd like whatever it may be. We all have that story somewhere in us, and we all have that truth that we're telling ourselves that say, I love God. He's the most powerful being in all the world. Therefore, what's he going to give me? What am I going to get? We all have that story. And Jesus flips around. He says, no, I'm offering you something very different. I'm offering that you deny yourself, that you don't want the yacht that you think you want. I'm offering you a six-foot inflatable dinghy, right? And it doesn't have a kicker. It's got oars, and you're in the ocean on this thing. And that's what I'm offering you. And there's only one world where you'd take the dinghy over the yacht, right? There's only one actual world where you'd want that. And what world is that? That's a world where that yacht's got a giant hole in it and it's sinking. Right? And Jesus is saying, the things that you think you want, they're sinking. They're not going where you think you want to go. To get where you think you want to go is going to be to deny yourself. Because here, I promise you, here's what Jesus didn't want. Jesus isn't in heaven with the conversation with the Father and the Spirit saying, you know what I really want to do? I want to go to earth. And in earth, I want to take on all the sin of humanity and I want to die a heinous Roman crucifixion. That's not what Jesus wants. But what he wants is to deny his desire to be a sacrifice and a ransom for many. And he's willing to do it to bring the love of the Father, to bring restoration for our sin, so we can be reunited with God. And then his invitation to his followers is not, follow me and you'll get whatever you want. And that's a clear picture if you're living anywhere that's hard. Right? That's super clear. Sometimes we wonder like, you know, we're living in luxury here. Like every single one of us, let's be honest, we're living in luxury. Right? Like If you're in Ukraine right now, and you're going like, I, I, I love Jesus, and your world is absolutely falling apart, you're fully realizing this in ways that you and I can't right now. Right? But the invitation is, I, I want you to deny what you want. I want you to deny yourself, like Luke says, daily, and I want you to follow me. And that's the invitation that Jesus offers. It's a real Jesus. It's not a fake Jesus. We're going to pray here, and I'm going to I want to just invite you to come back tonight, six o'clock, and, and we're going to not only just take a little deeper dive into this, but we're going to take a little deeper dive into what does it mean for me to deny myself, right? What, what are the fake versions that I've created of this life that I think that I want? And Jesus is saying, no, take that version, scrap it. I've got something better for you, and we're going to process some of that together. But would you pray with me? Father God, I, I thank you that we can have some time together as a church, And we can be honest and we can say it is easy to fall in love with a fake version of you. A version of you where we think if I follow you then I get the yacht and I get the power and I get the authority and Jesus says, the power and authority that I'm giving you is the power and authority to lay down your own life so that others can live. And God, I I, my heart is that we wouldn't just be a church that just says that in all the niceties of what we have here. And it wouldn't just be something that we get to experience once a year when we send a few people down south of the border. God, but that my heart is that like this happens um, in our homes. God, that we're, we're treating our spouses this way, that we're treating our kids this way. God, that we care about people around us, like genuinely, deeply care. God, that we care about the people in our workspaces. Um, God, that we care about our extended family who are hard to care about sometimes. God, that we deny the things that we want, and, and not in a, not an abusive way, but in a healthy way. God, that we would deny those and that we would lay it all down at your feet and would say, God, you gave up everything for me. What do you want me to give up? God, what do you want me to give up? I, I'm willing, and, and I, just, I just pray that we'd be willing. God, that we'd be looking for those spaces and those places where we'd just say, God, I, I can give it up. Because the real Jesus, that's what you asked me to do. Jesus, thank you for this time that we can think through these things. More than that, thank you for the cross. Jesus, for restoring my brokenness to you and for inviting me into a life following you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. I love you guys.
0: Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage with us. And if you're able, we'd love to see you at church next Sunday. Thanks again for listening.